Welcome to The Lead. I'm Nate Bramble. On today's episode of The Lead, we talk with former NPR chief business correspondent Marilyn Gwax. During her transition from NPR into retirement, Marilyn Gwax served as a 2018 Cox Institute Fellow and guest lectured throughout the semester for a business journalism class in Grady College. In this episode, I talk with Marilyn Gwax about moving from print to radio midway through her career, the importance of business reporting for our country, and the continued success of audio journalism in today's climate. But first, a word from our sponsor. This podcast was created by the Cox Institute for Journalism, Innovation, Management, and Leadership as part of its Innovation Fellowship Program. To learn more, go to grady.uga.edu slash Cox Institute. Okay, so today we are joined on the lead with Marilyn G. Wax. Marilyn, it's such an honor to have you here after I know you've been spending your semester with one of the classes here at Grady. Well, thank you very much. It's been really an honor and a pleasure to work with the students at the Grady College in journalism here. To start today, just for any listeners that are unfamiliar with you or your background, mm -hmm. would love just a brief overview of your career in journalism okay. up to this point and what led you here to Grady. Well, I graduated from Ohio State in journalism in my first few years of work as a business journalist at the Akron Beacon Journal in Northeast Ohio. And at that time, the recession was just starting in 1981-82, and I guess I had thought I would be a political reporter, but the economy was becoming such a compelling story where at that time that was the big first wave of deindustrialization, where steel mills were closing, tire plants were shutting down, auto industry was really in trouble. And I just sort of realized that the business news was really where my heart was, that trying to understand the trade issues, the technology issues, all of the things that were reshaping industrial rust belt, if you will, uh, economy. And I wanted to understand that. So it was sort of a curiosity about how the economy was evolving that led me into this. And then after a couple of years of covering doom and gloom in 1985, I decided to see what the flip side of that would look like and moved to Atlanta. I'd gotten a job at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on the business news desk, and I started covering still heavy industry in a lot of ways, aviation though, which was booming. So I didn't want to spend my whole life covering <laughs> decline. I wanted to see what growth would look like. So I spent 14 years in Atlanta, and then they asked me to go up to the Washington Bureau for the Atlanta newspaper. So I worked in the Cox Washington Bureau for 10 years and closed the bureau, dang nabbit, I hate when that happens, in 2008, and I jumped over to radio. And so the past decade has been as a business journalist, but for radio. Right off the bat, you speak on that shift that you made from reporting mostly for newspapers to radio. Through your career, have there been certain skills that you've seen you've had to develop, or what were certain constants between those two mediums as well as differences that you had to work on? I could say that literally absolutely everything about my job changed except that nothing changed. I mean, the fundamental tools that a journalist needs are exactly the same. That is personal credibility, honor, a desire to seek truth, constant curiosity, an ability to change and grow over time. Those things have never changed. All of my core values are exactly <laughs> the same as when I walked out of the door at Ohio State. I'm just as curious today as I was then. I'm just as determined to be balanced, honest, accurate as I was then. But every single tool that I 
use has changed. I don't carry a little notebook around. I don't have to jump into the phone booth and phone in a story uh, and have somebody type it up on the other end. You know, I remember when I first saw a fax machine, I thought that was pretty modern. So all of the tools of the trade, all the things that I worked on, literally when I was at Ohio State, we were still using actual paper where we would actually cut and paste the stories together. So I went from glue pots and scissors to just a completely different set of technological skills. On a daily basis, every single thing I do as a journalist of 2018, it was completely different from everything I did covering that recession back in 8081. But I don't feel any different. I feel like I can go into a newsroom today and go back into the Ohio State Lantern newsroom and it would have been in so many ways the same experience. People thinking hard about understanding what was happening around them. Throughout your career, your reporting has been directed on economics and growth. Such a complex field of things. One thing I'm always curious of is being able to translate that into readable stories. From your understanding, how are you able to do that? I think that storytelling skills are so important. You know, I've studied narrative. I look at how other people structure their stories and how to tell a story that has a beginning and a middle and an end so that people can follow it and clarity and simplicity. But also what really helps with storytelling is knowing what you're talking about, which means a lot of hard work. It's not easy to just sort of cut corners. If I'm going to write about trade issues and economics and stuff, I kind of have to actually know what I'm talking about, and that makes it a lot easier to tell the story when you're not just trying to talk around it. So I got a master's degree at Georgetown through the liberal studies program, but I put together my own curriculum, and I took some classes overseas, and I studied global economy things and how it all fit together. I had a one academic year fellowship at Harvard where I took all business and economics classes, and I've done a lot of continuing ed things. My point being, you can't just say like, oh, I think I'll tell a story about the economy economy and not really know what they're talking about. It's, it's really helpful to have the depth of experience and academic learning so that you know something. And then when you know something, it's kind of easy to say something. It makes the storytelling easier when you actually know what the story is. You were speaking on how you've been able to further your education. I think that's incredible. You talked about getting a master's from Georgetown, but also being able to study with Harvard. I'm interested as you talk about being able to learn from multiple institutions and making sure that you are able to to learn from a lot of different mm -hmm. styles. What did that look like? The key tool that a journalist has is curiosity. I feel like my whole life has been like putting together a giant jigsaw puzzle of the world where I'm like, okay, I've got the lower right-hand square corner. I found that piece. Now what's the next piece? And, and you kind of put together the jigsaw puzzle one piece at a time until you can stand back and say, oh, that's what it looks like. Every time I would sort of get a sense of the world and then I realized, ooh, I'm missing this piece, I'd go back to school and learn more about how does that work? What does this do? You're never going to have a perfect crystal clear HD picture of the world, but you'd like to get to where you sort of have a mosaic or a tapestry or something that gives you at least a, a rough idea of how it all comes together. And for me, that core story that started out when I grew up in Youngstown, seeing the Youngstown sheet and tube shut down and the tire plants, instead of just standing there and saying, oh, well, too bad, we just lost another tire plant. I was like, wait a minute, what 
what happened here? What is the role of Michelin tires from Europe and Bridgestones from Japan? I mean, how do you fit that picture together to understand a simple tire is actually a complicated story? So I was always trying to put together the tapestry for myself and understand what was happening. And that's not easy. I mean, if this is supposed to be about leadership, the advice for any journalist or anybody in any business these days is you have to constantly layer on learning. If you think when you're 18 or when you're 22, like, okay, I'm all set. I know everything I need to know now. You're going to have a dead-end career. But if you go into any job saying, this is just the base. This is what I start with. But every day I need to learn a new skill. I need to learn more. I think that's where leaders come from is people who just constantly layer on more learning. I don't want to get any titles wrong from what you did at <laughs> NPR, but I know it talks about how as you furthered in your career, you became more in charge of delegating which stories right. were reported things right. like that. How was that experience for you when you not only just reported, but also had to manage a lot of other mm -hmm. people reporting, guiding your vision through other people's writing? It's funny. You just sort of age into that. I mean, after a while of chasing around stories, you sort of want to have more of me. Like if I have a team of reporters of five people, then there's like five little mini-me's I can, you know, send around and get more boots on the ground. As you sort of feel like, okay, I've done everything that I wanted to do. Now I need to get more people to do what I want them to do. One of the things that I did at NPR, I was a senior business editor, and one of the areas that I sort of specialized in was working with freelance reporters from around the country. I was looking for stories. In fact, uh, I would hire on several occasions reporters in Georgia to do stories about things that were happening here. Trying to find reporters around the country that were not on Wall Street, not in Washington. And by working with those freelance reporters, I could get more information out onto the airwaves about things that were happening around the country. So by being an editor, you can get your hands on some of the budget money and spend it on reporters so that you can bring stories from around the country. It would be better to have a reporter in Georgia telling me about poultry in Georgia than for me to fly down from New York to do it. So you spoke on a little bit how so much of the job is learning as you go, and especially with technology, with the way yes. the job of a journalist day to day has changed drastically. But at the same time, as you mentioned, it hasn't. You spoke on in your career in Washington when that whole bureau closed. You were forced to do a lot of relearning in that moment. Mm -hmm. I was curious for you, not only what did that moment look like, but how were you able to continue to do your job, but also keep an open mind to learn every day? Yeah, and it really was uh, quite a change to go from a whole history of newspaper work to going into radio. And again, it's, it's kind of like the technology thing where everything was different and nothing was different. Every way that I produced a story was different for radio from the way I would tell it in a newspaper. So I had to sort of calibrate my desire for precision and accuracy. I do have to take into account that it's one thing if somebody's sitting there with a newspaper reading the Wall Street Journal looking for those .00 decimal points to show up and somebody who's just listening to a radio story and is trying to get the big picture and understand what's happening. I had to sort of rethink storytelling to suit the audio news. And in the 10 years since I started with radio, it's evolved more where now podcasting is the big thing and you know telling stories on podcasts is different from a two and a half or three minute piece for radio for broadcast. There's a constant learning process and actually just in the past uh, recent weeks I uh, decided to leave Washington. So I moved back to Atlanta where I have lots of old friends. I basically have stepped back from full-time work with radio and I've shifted now again focus more on teaching which is 
why I'm here at the University of Georgia teaching a business news class. It's sort of like being an editor. You know how I said I started out doing the reporting myself, then I wanted to have reporters. Now I want to plant seeds and get other people. <laughs> you know, instead of working with three or four or five reporters, now I can work with a whole room full of students and hope that they'll go out and continue this work. As you were guest lecturing in a class this entire semester, what were some of your main takeaways that you wanted to give students? The big things I keep trying to pound into their head is that business news is not about trying to make hedge fund managers richer. They'll figure that out on their own. The purpose of business news is to help our democracy. The point is to get citizens engaged in economic policy, to tell stories in ways that are fair and interesting and engaging, so that when you go into the voting booth and you're trying to decide, these are big decisions that we in a democracy need to make, and we have to make sensible decisions. So I keep trying to get students to see that money stories are people stories, and those people are your fellow citizens who need to vote. And if they're going to make wise decisions about policy and candidates, they need good information. And it's of huge importance to people. What's going to happen with interest rates, uh, student loans? I mean, there are a million issues that impact people's financial lives. And if we're not telling good stories, we're failing our democracy. You spoke on the differences that you had to learn in your reporting from mm -hmm. print to radio. I was curious, as you mentioned, we were fortunate enough to speak with Steve Inskeep on this podcast. And one thing we talked about was how, although traditional news organizations are struggling, NPR's numbers have actually been steady or even doing up, pretty well. Up, yes, actually. I was curious if you think that's a lasting trend potentially within radio. I know we talk mm -hmm. about the accessibility of someone's able to listen to it in their car. But do you think this is a trend that's going to continue? Yeah, the big game changer is really smart speakers, the uh, Alexa get me news aspect. And and literally, that is where, you know, we're just seeing tremendous growth. You walk into the kitchen and say, so-and-so, get me NPR. And news starts up. And you can listen to podcasts and news. And those smart speakers are making it much easier for people to add audio news to their lives. People are very busy. I mean, everybody's got something to do. Having the ability to have hands-free news is really convenient. You know, boring tasks, I find myself being a better housekeeper. You know, I don't mind dusting everything as much when a good podcast is on. So I think that audio news is becoming a really vital source of information for people because it allows them to take in information while continuing with the rest of their time-squeezed day. I really am actually positive about and excited about the potential for audio news in a world where smart speakers will become as ubiquitous as smartphones are now. I mean, it's a game changer when people start going from, oh, I don't know if I want this little device in my kitchen to everybody will just have one. And one of the main skills those little speakers will have is getting you NPR or other sources of legitimate audio news. But that's about all the time we had. Okay. And I wanted to thank you so much, especially as a student. It is awesome to hear people who've been in the industry say that they really want to be able to plant seeds and help inspire the next generation of reporters. Yeah, I think I have no idea what reporting will be when you reach the end of your career as a full-timer, you will have a set of tools that neither of us can possibly imagine. I could not have thought of a smartphone when I was at Ohio State. Like the idea that, wait, there's this little thing in your pocket and the t these tweets and the blah, blah, blah. It just would have been science fiction. There are all sorts of tools you will have in the future that'll seem like science fiction. And yet I 
do think that the baton that I'm passing on to the younger generation is going to be exactly the same. Are they going to be curious? Are they willing to learn? Are they willing to change? Are they willing to stay alert to their times, to tell the truth, to care about facts, to want to motivate their fellow citizens to get out to vote? Are those qualities going to exist 40 years from now? If they don't exist, we will not be America. We will not have a democracy. We will not be the United States. But if those core values continue to exist, I don't know what things are going to be in your hand or strapped to your body or you'll be wearing on your head or, you know, <laughs> whatever it is. I can't begin to think of it. But I do think that the young people that I'm talking to now, if they can keep these values going, we can keep our democracy going. Well, thank you again so much. Just really appreciate your time. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for listening to The Lead Podcast. This episode was produced by Nate Brammel and Noel Lashley with the help of Keith Herndon, director of the Cox Institute at the University of Georgia. For more episodes, find us on Twitter at The Lead Podcast. 